welcome to another edition of Ready, Set, Retire, an audio guide packed with information, insight, and experiences for people who are planning for, about to, or already have retired. I'm John McComb, recently retired after a 50-year broadcast career, the past 36 years at CKNW Radio in Vancouver. I'm sitting down with my co-host, Lori Pinkowski every other Friday to help answer the many questions that come up as you prepare to relax and devote some time to you and your new life. Lori is the founder of Pinkowski Wealth Management and is a Senior Vice President and Senior Portfolio Manager at Canaccord Genuity. Lori, it's always great to talk to you. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, John. How are you? Uh, very, very well, and glad to be back with you here on Episode 5 already of Ready, Set, Retire. We're going to be talking about some of the concerns that retirees have as retirement approaches, and indeed, once they have retired. We'll get into that in just a second. But first off, talk to us about the markets, because the S&P 500 in particular is uh, hitting new highs. Yeah, we're close to it. We're flirting with the all-time high back in February, which is a great thing, but I think it's also concerning for a lot of people, a lot of retirees, in fact. Probably the number one question I get right now. Why are the markets as high as they are when there's still so many problems out there? And the reason that is, and we've talked about it before, is just the amount of government stimulus out there. We're seeing more positive economic data coming out, although unemployment numbers are still high. I mean, we're seeing over 10% in Canada and the U.S., but it's coming down. And so, again, the stock market is forward-looking. And so when the markets are looking forward 6 to 12 months, they're saying, okay, things are going to be better at that point than they are today as well as we just went through earnings season, which was much better than expected. And so that's why we're seeing markets continue to move higher. But again, you got to be in the right sectors to participate in that rebound and that recovery in your portfolio. Well, you touched on it a bit there, but just how long can people rely on the markets to continue to perform well? You say looking forward, we're going to go through a presidential election coming up. Things might not be as sweet after the first of the year. What I would say is that we should expect some volatility over the next couple of months. That's my experience managing money for 20 years now. Anytime there's an election, we're going to see markets have a bit of a correction leading up to that. And depending on who wins, markets will react and certain sectors will react as well, such as healthcare or pipelines, depending on who wins. So, so you definitely have to be on top of it. You know, our strategy is always to keep a little powder dry as we say, or cash on the sidelines leading up to uh, the election. And also, of course, we all have the possibility of a second surge of COVID. I mean, even here in BC, we're seeing cases increase already. That's a little bit concerning. But what I would say, only the future will tell us what happens. But I would say that a complete lockdown like what we saw back in March probably wouldn't happen again. I think that was an immediate response to the unknown, which we had to do. And I think uh, they would be more selective again on what would close down, what wouldn't. And I'm talking not just here in Vancouver or BC, I'm talking about globally. So there are risks ahead. You have to understand those risks not panic and also look at any kind of correction would likely be a buying opportunity because there's a lot of stocks that have gotten away even from us that we wanted to purchase. But 
again, we want to be patient. Uh, we want to find the value out there. And like I said, again, you want to be in the right sectors leading into fall here, because if you're not in the right areas, your portfolio performance could suffer. You mentioned COVID. What's the latest update on cases in uh, the U.S. and Canada? We've seen over 5 million cases in the U.S., over 20 million globally. That's concerning. But what we have seen is that cases have decreased somewhat in the last couple of weeks in the U.S. And as we know, that can change at any point in time. I think what we want to see is that we're getting closer to some sort of vaccine. You know, and I know there's positive news out there and so on, but realistically, it's going to take some time, even once they do get a vaccine, that all of us can get it, and especially those that are more susceptible to COVID-19. So again, I think it's going to be some time. It's the virus. We're going to have to live with it. The markets kind of understand that, I guess, to a certain point. And that's why you see things like technology continuing to move forward and so on, because it's less affected. Or, you know, companies like Amazon, they're, they're benefiting from what's happening. So again, with COVID, it's going to be here for a long time. And I think we need to get used to it to a certain extent and, you know, be vigilant here still in Vancouver and BC as we're seeing the cases increase. There was a concern, I think, going into summer that cases would start to rise as summer came into full bloom, as it were. And that certainly has been the case, uh, cases going up in BC after being pretty well under control for many weeks. Does that have any effect on the markets or on people? I mean, these cases, it seems to me, are going to go up and down and up and down as we move forward anyway. So is it just the new normal? It is. It is the new normal. And I often say that the markets react less to the same bad news. So the first time we heard of this, of course, markets reacted very violently. But as we kind of understand numbers are going to go up, numbers are going to go down, markets don't react as much. And you've seen that, you know, over the last four weeks, you see the cases rising and rising in the U.S., yet the stock market continues to rise. So again, just need to have a financial advisor, a portfolio manager that's on top of it, understanding what the consequences will be if COVID does get out of control, um, but also look for the opportunities that we'll see going forward if there is some sort of correction. The jobs reports, both the U.S. and Canada, we've got the latest updates, of course, unemployment hitting unbelievable highs in both countries as a result of COVID. Where do things stand now? You know, what we're seeing, even though there's an improvement, we're still a long way away from where we were pre-COVID. And the jobs that are being added most of the time are part-time positions. And so full-time work has really not uh, gotten that much better. So we want to see that improve as well. And I think it's going to take some time going forward until we see employment numbers get back to where they were. But again, this is what's concerning longer term for me when looking at the markets and so on, that the S&P is close to its all time high. You're going, okay, well, the economy and employment numbers are nowhere close to what was going on back in February. So we really need to analyze that and just make sure that the markets and investors aren't getting ahead of themselves with this excitement, because if the stimulus stops, maybe the market will stop. So we got to always be watching out what the governments around the world are doing to help support families, help support people get through this. But we need to be careful of when that help comes to an end, make sure that they don't stop that too soon. Well, and this is a question that I've had going through the summer is just how long can governments continue to to roll out huge sums of money, both in the U.S. and Canada and around the world, really, 
I guess if you own the printing press, it's <laughs> you can you can print indefinitely. But it just seems to me that so many countries, including ours, just watching that deficit go up and up and up and up. And where does it where does it end? Where does it stop? Well, it is concerning because I don't know that there's enough checks and balances in terms of who's getting what amounts of money. I know a lot of clients that I have got that three hundred dollar kind of supplement. And, you know, they may have a net worth of two, three, five million. They don't need that $300 and they didn't want it, but they received it in the mail. So maybe they're handing out money like that is not a good thing. And at the end of the day, the question is, how much can they provide? How much can they give out? And you're right. They own the printing press. And so the question I have got recently, is that going to cause inflation? Because that is more and more stimulus usually can cause inflation. And that was the real big reason why gold had that run after 2009 to 2011 was the idea of inflation because of all the stimulus the government provided at that time. But what we learned later on, because inflation never actually went anywhere, was that the government was giving money to the banks, but the banks were too scared to lend it out to the people. So there really wasn't that excess in spending. I think what you're seeing today is, is that although, again, they're providing stimulus, they're not providing excess amounts of money to people. It's enough money to get by. So are they going to be out there spending and spending and spending to cause us inflation? I just don't see that happening. But gold is telling you that it does see inflation. That's why gold is hitting new highs. So in terms of the uncertainty around inflation can cause gold to increase. So in my opinion, I see gold going high over the next year or two. I don't think that this bull market in gold has stopped at this point. And our portfolios have 10, 12% gold in them right now. Let's talk about the housing market, both in Canada and here in BC. Give us an update on the situation because there's been, I think, debate back and forth about housing market still overpriced. Is it just right? It's like the three little bears. Where do we, where does the housing market stand? It's quite confusing, actually, because what we're seeing is that rates are very low right now. And so that's exciting because people can get mortgages and not pay a bunch of interest. And so they may have lower payments. But for the banks to give you that money, you got to jump through a lot of hoops right now in order to get that amount that you want. So I was speaking to a bunch of mortgage brokers, four different individuals, actually, and just talking to them what's going on out there. Have the banks tightened up? And 100% they have. You know, if you're looking at real estate that's under 1.5 million, fine, you can put the 20% down. If it's anything over 1.5 million or over 2 million, well, again, I mean, yeah, that's considered the luxury market. But if you go onto realtor.ca and look at a lot of the homes worth 1.5 to 2 million, you wouldn't necessarily consider yourself in a luxury home, but they're actually requiring more and more down payments on a sliding scale. So you may be putting down anywhere between 30, 40, or even 50% on the balance of that mortgage. So that's a significant amount. And that's telling us that the banks are seeing more and more risk in the real estate market. So they're essentially telling you, I don't want the risk on my books. So you take the risk and you put your money down. And so again, I think it you really have to look at the different sectors of the real estate market. I don't think we can blanket it as one whole because condos are very different than townhomes than detached homes. And then you also have to look at the different areas that are out here, especially in Vancouver, whether it's Vancouver West or West Vancouver versus Burnaby versus Richmond. And so when we're looking at the numbers, the prices they report are up since last year, maybe four to six percent. But most prices are down still significantly from three years ago. So it's a little bit of an increase, a bump over the last couple of months, lots of sales activity, lower inventory, 
where prices go from here, I don't think they're going higher. You know, if anything, they stay flat. But again, we'll see what the banks do. If they make it more and more difficult to borrow money, that's a problem for the real estate market. What about the housing starts? Because I still see tons of construction cranes on very tall condo buildings being put up. And I'm curious as to whether there is still that demand that we've seen in the past. Yeah, housing starts in Canada surged 16% in July. So that's a big number. And, you know, I agree with you, John. I mean, I was just in Richmond and there's so many buildings going up. I was shocked, you know, who's going to buy all these places was my thought. But I guess people will. And if they don't, maybe they turn into rental units. Who knows what will happen? But it appears that developers have gotten a little bit more bullish on the real estate market. But where were we all coming from, from an ultimate low there in March? So being a little bit more positive makes sense. All right, let's move along and talk about some of the concerns. Well, the five major concerns that retirees have. And you and I have talked about this both on our various programs and in person, because I'm one of those people who ask the number one asked question that retirees have. How much money do I need to retire? Am I going to have enough, et cetera, et cetera? I know you've probably heard it in a thousand different ways, but it all boils down to the same thing. It definitely does. And it's understandable. I mean, that's your livelihood in retirement. You want to ensure that you have saved enough, that you do have enough, that you maintain enough is another issue that comes across the table and income, right? And it all boils down to how much you've saved and how much you spend. And I would say that most of our clients are fairly frugal people. So, and I mentioned this before, we almost have an issue with them not spending enough. But of course, there's people out there that maybe haven't saved enough. And, you know, you're having those conversations. When we're doing a financial plan, we're making sure that we're including things like CPP and old age security, even though I know it's not a lot, but it does add up. It gives you a little extra, right? We have to look at your debt levels as well to ensure that your debt is not too high as you enter into retirement. There's not a lot of retirees that are getting a bunch of debt as they are retired. So it's uh, people leading up that we're assessing the debt. Another question I often get is how much do you think that I'm going to need? What does the average person need? And I would say the average person is around or a couple about $5,000 a month. And I'm being very general with this. I mean, we sit down and have long conversations about this sort of thing. But to generalize it, I would say about that 60000 a year. And that includes your CPP, OAS, and then you withdraw some from your portfolio. Of course, we're always taking taxes into account. We got to take inflation into account and so on. I think things have changed a little with how much people spend just because of COVID, right? People were traveling before. They were spending usually say ten to 15000 on a few vacations a year. And of course, now we're looking at the staycation. But that does cost a little bit of money, but nothing like going to Europe or anything like that. And it's really important to talk about that, how much you're going to need, what is the income that you require to cover your monthly costs, as well as then some, right? You're retiring because you want to have a little bit of fun. So you need to have that fun money as well. And so we make sure we incorporate that into your financial plan. Well, COVID has changed everything because as you know, in May, I was planning to go to the uh, Monaco Grand Prix, among other things. Now we're sitting here talking about maybe going to Comox. So it's been, <laughs> it's been nothing against What's Comox. What's wrong with Comox? Comox is a, beautiful. It's been a bit of a downer. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. For you and so many clients, I mean, 
So many people had cruises booked. We have a lot of cruisers, but a lot of people that go down south too. They have places in the U.S., Palm Springs, things like that. Yeah. Or even people just want to go see family wherever, you know, I mean, it's just put a total damper on, on all travel plans, including retirement travel dream plans. And so my thought on that is that eventually things will get back to the way they were, even though we can't see completely the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of COVID. But the world has gotten over many things before, and I'm sure we'll get over this as well. Indeed. Number two on the list of five major concerns of retirees is what happens when there is a big hit to your retirement portfolio? And we've seen this over the last 20 years. They seem to come along a lot more often than perhaps they used to. But when your portfolio takes a big hit and the markets drop, of course, you can't suddenly go back to work and start making more money. At least most of us can't. So what do you say to people who have those concerns? Yeah, that's why risk management is so important. I always say to retirees, why risk management is so important is that you just don't have a chance to make it up again. So markets will have corrections. Markets will have crashes. You just have to ensure that you're with a good money manager who's actively managing the situation. Because even back in March, when markets were moving lower, they could have still gone lower. Remember, like 2008, markets were down, I think, from peak to bottom, 50, 55%. And so here we're 35%. And you remember how terrible that felt. Yeah. You know, think about another 20%. So our strategy is to move to cash with a big portion of the portfolio. The other thing talking to people about their portfolio and during market corrections is that you can't survive off GIC rates of 1%. So generally in retirement, you are going to have some exposure to the stock market. And that doesn't mean you need to panic or be worried about it as long as you're in conservative stocks. You don't want to be in high risk areas, of course, or small junior companies with a big portion of your portfolio, in my opinion. You want to stay in companies, you know, Walmart and Costco and things like that. You know they're going to survive. But where we do see an issue is when financial advisors use a more buy and hold approach in your portfolio, losses can be massive and they can last for a long time. They can affect your retirement. I saw it back in 2009, 2010 with people who came to us at that point. They were still way down from the crash and they wanted to be protected. And that's why they wanted more of an active approach. For example, if you held the S&P 500 at that point, you would have taken a loss of 50% or so in 2008, 2009. It would have taken five, six years to get back to where you were. That is a real impact to your retirement. So you never want to be in that situation. And that's why we spend so much time actively managing, raising cash when things are bad, looking at a chance to get back in. And this isn't about market timing. It's about protecting the assets of our clients when things are uncertain. And during a time like March, I didn't know any more than you did where COVID was going to land us, right? But I have been through market crashes many times before. It felt the same. And what you have to do is you just have to get conservative. You have to make sure you've got powder dry, as I say, so that you're able to come back into the market when things uh, ease up a bit. And so, again, we use stop losses. That's what we do. It's much easier to recover if the portfolio doesn't drop significantly. And again, if we're able to drop one third of what the market is, it's much easier to get back from that. And markets, remember, don't go down forever. So when there is a crash, there will be a rebound. I think a lot of people forget that when the markets are going down day after day, week after week, they think it's going to go on forever. It's going to zero. It's never gone to zero. So you just <laughs> got to manage it and have people who know what they're doing to manage it for you. 
But it's vital that you have a plan or your advisor does and that you're communicating about your expectations during a market correction or market crash. Not that I think that we're going to have another March, but there will be a correction at some point in the future. And you just have to have a plan for that. Number three on the list of five concerns that uh, you have heard over the years, five major concerns of retirees. Number three is health care costs and future needs, things like assisted living. Those things do cost money. And I don't know how in the world you would begin to plan for that. Well, this may be the same concern. People wonder who's going to care for me as I age and so on. And how much are these costs? Because it's definitely a factor in all of our lives. Uh, We're all going to come to that point. And uh, those costs can be significant. I've seen it firsthand. Assisted living or seniors homes can run anywhere between $5,000, $10,000 a month, which can be concerning. Other people are now looking for different options given the COVID situation, such as nurse next door, where people come to help you in your home and things like that. But that's almost even more expensive if you would require full-time care. So you need a plan for these costs. And when we do a financial retirement estate plan, we are definitely talking about these sorts of things because people worry about medical bills as they age as well. Part of the idea is is that the roof over your head, if you own your home at some point in the future and you go into assisted living, then you're going to be selling your home and that will pay for those costs. Again, that isn't the comfort for everybody. So it's important that if you don't have a home that you own, that we're making sure that we incorporate that into the financial plan into your overall spending during retirement so that you're spending a little less so that you have more later on in terms of having money for assisted care or for medical expenses. Number four on the list is the idea of making sure that the family is taken care of. And I know that in some cases that just isn't possible. If somebody has a large portfolio and a lot of money, sure. But for a lot of people, I think the number one goal is just to have enough money to live before you take care of the family. Now, my family's not going to be very happy to hear me say that, but, you know, it is what it is. Don't forward this episode to them, John. It is what it is, right? (laughs) No, I agree with you. There's two parts to this. One is you want to make sure that your spouse is taken care of. Usually in a relationship, what I've seen is that one spouse concentrates on the investments and the other spouse really has nothing to do with it. I think people divide and conquer and, you know, the other spouse may be paying the bills and the other one's looking after the portfolio with the financial advisor sort of idea. And what you got to make sure is that the spouse who isn't looking after the investments, should something happen to you, that they're comfortable with whoever you're dealing with because it can be very overwhelming if all of a sudden they have to take over the responsibility of the portfolio, the income, all these sorts of things. So just make sure that the financial advisor that you're with makes sense for not just you, but also the spouse who isn't making the decisions on the portfolio. And the next thing I would say is leaving a legacy for your children or grandchildren. Like John said, and I agree with him, we want to make sure your retirement is funded 100% first. And what's left is left is kind of the idea of most people, I would say, John, in your generation, for sure. And the generation before you, it's a little different, actually. They kind of have the idea of they want to leave as much as possible for their children, which in your generation, it's really changed. I'd say, you know, 95% of the people people are saying, you know what, I want to enjoy my retirement. My kids are fine. They'll be fine. 
I want to go travel. I'm going to see the world. I want to do what I need to do. I worked hard and they're going to get something in the end for sure. But there's not some sort of dollar amount around it. And also you just want to make sure and you'll feel better. You won't have this concern as much if you have an up to date will, I would say. It kind of just puts your thoughts and feelings on paper. Make sure that whatever your wishes are, that they're going to be done when you leave the earth and make sure that there's a plan there in place or whether you want to donate to charity and all those sorts of things. So I think that's also a concern for most people. Those are discussions we have. But again, this is just about communicating, talking about it together and coming up with solutions. And number five, how will I keep busy in retirement? Well, I've answered that question because I'm doing it right now. (laughs) This is how I stay busy. But it is a problem, I think, if people don't have hobbies or they haven't thought about doing other things, suddenly you have a lot of time on your hands. It's true, John. You're probably the poster child of how to keep busy (laughs) in retirement, considering you you only took a few weeks off. For most, I would say, is that you'll find your way. And, you know, you don't always have to have a plan going into retirement in terms of how you're going to keep your day busy and so on. I find that a lot of people who are retired end up being busier in retirement than they were when they were working, except they're doing the things that they want to be doing. And so, of course, with COVID, we're not able to do everything that we want to, but dream and plan ahead. Keep going, you know, come up with what you want to do next year. But of course, there are things that you can keep busy with, helping out with grandchildren, taking classes, learning a new language, exercising. And I would say gardening has been probably the number one way for people to keep busy during COVID, at least with my clients. They're creating beauty in their backyards. And I've got to see a lot of it because we're having socially distanced meetings out on the patio now with masks on. But we got to do what we got to do and really keeps them happy, keeps them calm, keeps them safe. And so I agree with the gardening one for sure. You always have such great advice. Maybe that's why I like you so much. I don't know. Well, that's great. Thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) I like you too, John. Tell me about you moved recently from uh, one firm to Canaccord Genuity. And we did the last Ready, Set, Retire kind of in the middle of all that. And it was all very hectic and busy. But how has the move gone? The move is fantastic. You know, we're getting, yeah, we're really getting settled in uh The accounts came over really quickly. So we're, you know, it's back to business as usual and managing the portfolios. And just what we have at our fingertips at Canaccord is just uh, so fantastic in terms of the amount of emails we're getting just on research on all different sectors. You know, their fingers really on the pulse over there and just the new trading systems that we have to do what we do every single day for our clients is so efficient. And we see a lot of improvement and we're super happy we made the move and excited to work with Canaccord Genuity for many, many years to come. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. We usually wrap up with a final thought, a deep piece of insight that we can ponder until we meet again on Ready, Set, Retire. What have you got for us this week? We've got a quote by Abraham Lincoln. And in the end, it's not the years in your life that count. It's the life in your years. Thank you, Lori. Thanks so much, John. Have a great day. If you want more information or have any questions, please don't hesitate to call Lori and her team at Pinkowski Wealth Management. 604-695-LORI. 604-695-5674. For Lori Pinkowski, I'm John McComb. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Ready, Set, Retire.